right, so my name is uh, Joey Sedlock. I'm a member here of Sulphur Community Church, and uh, today we're going to continue our series uh, titled the Crushed, Hill, the Crushed Head and the Bruised Heel. And uh, this is, if you've, if you've been with us for a while, you know that typically we, j- we take a book of the Bible, we walk through it line by line, verse by verse, and, uh, and really see what God has for us through the story uh, of an entire book. Well, we're doing something similar, except, of course, not line by line, verse by verse, because we would not live long enough to finish it, but we're doing something similar with the entire Bible, right? We're telling the, the entire story of redemption from Genesis to Revelation through uh, really the highlights of, of, the, of the points that moved uh, God's redemptive story uh, forward from, like I said, Genesis to, to Revelation. So uh, for the past uh, few weeks now, what we've done is we have sent out a guide after the sermon that just has some questions for your own reading, your own study, uh, study with your family, study with, uh, with your groups um, that, you, that, that meet on Sunday nights and, and studies by yourself as well. And so those will be texted out as they have been. If, if you do not have a format to receive that electronically or print that out, then we do have a few copies in the back that you can pick up on your way out. Uh, one more thing. Uh, I don't know how long we're going to plug this, but uh, will today. Uh, this right here is the Jesus Storybook Bible. What it does is it, A, kind of set up how we were going to move through the entire Bible. So today we're going to go through Genesis 11, right? The Tower of Babel. They have a little chapter in here on the Tower of Babel, and it's going to keep being like that. But also, it just gives you a very brief overview of each story, three or four pages, and allows you to uh, lead a devotion with your family, specifically with your kids, as it is the Jesus Storybook Bible. But at the same time, I've read it, and I've learned things. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's not just for kids, uh, but it is, it, it is incredibly helpful just to kind of hit the highlights of each story as, as uh, the story of redemption unfolds. But uh, like I said, today we are going to be in Genesis uh, chapter 11. We're going to be in verses 1 through 9. That's what Jason read for us. And uh, before we go ahead and jump in, let's, uh, let's pray and get started. Heavenly Father, we, we come before you today, and, uh, and Lord, we're thankful. We're thankful for your word, Lord. We're thankful for your presence, Lord. We're thankful for your grace. Uh, and Lord, from, from the little bit that we've studied so far, we're, we're thankful for your patience. And Lord, we love you. Uh, we pray that you, that you move among us. We pray that, that uh, what your word accomplishes is, is brought to our attention, that, that ears are open to hear, that eyes are open to see, and that, art, that hearts of stone are melted, and that you freely give hearts of flesh, Lord, with your, with your word in it. Lord, we pray that you do the work only you can do, and you receive the glory that, that, you, that, you, uh, that you should only receive. We love you. We praise you. Amen. Amen. And so uh, the story of Babel, uh, the story of the Tower of Babel, is, is an interesting story. And I'll freely admit it's a story that uh, before a couple weeks ago, I hadn't really studied much. I hadn't really thought about much. And to be honest, it had always been a little bit confusing to me because I didn't really understand why God, why God got so mad at these people trying to build a city? I just, I, I just didn't, but I didn't, really, I, didn't really, uh, I didn't really study it much to find out. But here's, what, here's what's happened so far, and here's what we're going to see continue to happen in our story today, right? God created uh, the heavens and the earth. He created, he created everything. 
right? Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 3, uh, mankind kind of messes it all up, remember? The serpent comes and deceives Eve, and Eve gives the fruit to Adam, and, and, and that is considered the fall. After that, we receive um, the curse, and, and Adam and Eve are, are kicked out of the garden, right? We didn't really go through like Cain and Abel and this, that, and the other, but, but mankind kind of just entered into this spiral down. Things got worse and worse and worse until last week, Trent comes up and says, uh, basically, God has made up his mind to kill everyone on earth. And uh, that might mess with your theology a little bit. I don't know, but it happened, right? And so he saves Noah and, and some close family members of Noah and their spouses. He, he puts them in the ark with all the animals, right? God floods the earth. Everyone, on, everyone else on earth has, has perished at that point. And this is considered to be a new beginning. I don't know. Three verses off the boat, Noah drops the ball right? <laughs> Again, this, this ain't really looking good for us, right? And so the descendants of Noah uh, are kind of what we're going to be talking about today. But one thing that, is, that seems to be true and that is going to be confirmed as true is mankind hasn't gotten any better up to this point. God has only continued to show grace that he is in no way, shape, or form obligated to show. And so let's, let's do a little bit of housekeeping here in, in, in verse 1. Look with me. It says, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. Now, if you're, if you're a bit of a critical reader, you may have just read chapter 10. Chapter 10 is very interesting because it details how the, the descendants of Noah spread out all over the earth and created all kinds of languages and all kinds of different people groups. And then in chapter 11, it says, now the whole earth had one earth, uh, the whole earth had one earth. That is, that is actually true. The whole earth had one language and the same words. And you may think, well, hold on. Chapter 10 just said that everyone dispersed and everyone had their own language. How is it all of a sudden that it's one people, one language again? And this is a literary device used in Genesis, specifically all throughout Genesis, we've already seen it in Genesis 1 and 2, right? Where we see a big descriptive view of what's going on that kind of passes over a lot of detail. And then we get the next chapter that's full of detail about how specifically those things happen, right? So we've, we've already seen this once. But Genesis chapter 9 Verse 1 says, or it doesn't say, there's a command issued there that, uh, to Noah and his descendants to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That's already an echo of what Adam and Eve were told to do in Genesis 1, which was be fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth. Right? So that's the command given to them. Genesis 10 looks like the peaceful, simple, obedient fulfillment of that command. And what chapter 9 is going to tell us is that it wasn't obedient at all. And actually, God had to force man to actually disperse and do what God had commanded him to do, right? So this is, this chapter, chapter 10 is that broad telling where chapter, chapter 11 is that detailed event that caused chapter 10 to happen. So just a little bit of housekeeping there. We want to make sure that we do answer some of the controversial charges against, against specifically Genesis here. But the actual story gets started in chapter 2. I'm sorry, in verse 2. It says, And as people migrated from the east, 
they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen, which I'm going to go with bitumen. I'm going to agree with Jason here. Bitumen for mortar, right? And so this is, this is where the story actually starts. And so what's interesting is it says that they migrated from the east, which means they were traveling in the east. And, and uh, this is... This is um, what, what one of my professors once called a scarlet thread that runs all throughout Scripture. And what it is, is east. Anytime east is mentioned, kind of pay attention to what's going on. Because when Adam and Eve sinned against God, they were sent out from the garden. And they were sent east. And when you notice... Anytime that God's judgment is upon Israel, anytime God's judgment is upon his people, typically they are referred, uh, there's a reference to the east involved where his people are sent further and further east, which is uh, both geographical and symbolic, further and further away from the Garden of Eden, further and further away from God's intended purpose and how he intended things to work out. And so what, they, what we have here is that his people were migrating in the east. Right? And they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they settled there. And, and, and the fact that it says that they found a plain means they were looking. Right, They found something they were looking for, and they were looking for a place to settle. And they said to one another, come, let, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. Right? And so they're like, hey guys, we got, a, we got a beautiful plane here. We're all here together. This is great. Uh, the way that this is painted is that all the descendants of Noah are in one place, which at this point is everyone on earth because everybody else died, right? Uh, and, and, and so they're all together and they say, let us, let us stay here and let us play with this brand new invention, the brick. And, and, and what, they, what they figured out, at least by this point, is that a, a brick that has been exposed to fire or exposed to an oven is actually better than a brick that's just been dried by the sun. And so they're saying, hey, we got this new technology. Why don't we just stay here? Why don't we just use this brick in this, in this bitumen, which is, which is kind of like tar, it's kind of like exposed crude oil that's allowed to harden and it becomes very sticky and it sticks the bricks together. And they're like, let's just stay here. And this is where problems start to arise, right? Because what's their command? Their command is to disperse along the face of the earth, to fill the earth, to multiply and subdue it. And man's first reaction at the first, at the first sight of a bit of convenience, this nice plain where they can build, they said, let's stay here. And so in verse 4 they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed on the face of the earth. Man doesn't just usually announce their open rebellion <laughs> against God like this, but it helps as a studier and a preacher when they do, because I don't have to assume anything. <laughs> But they, they, they said, they said let's, let's stay here with our new invention, the brick, and let's do four things, right? He says, it says, let's build for ourselves a city. In that city, let's have a tower with its tops in the heavens. Let's make a name for ourselves, and let's not be dispersed. I, nobody had a copy of Scripture at this point. I understand that. But do you think anybody was like, are you sure? 
Are you sure? Because it doesn't seem like maybe that's what, that's what God wants us to do, right? And, and, and so these, these four things that they decide to do, uh, they're actually connected to one another, right? They said, let's build a city, which is, which is then a refusal to be dispersed because a city keeps everybody in one place, right? And let's build a tower, which is, let's, let's make a name for ourselves, which is, let's garner praise for ourselves, Right? So let's build a city because we want security, we want to stay in one place, and we want it to be nice, and we want, we want some walls, right? And let's make a name for ourselves, which is let's go on our praise for ourselves, let's go on, let's go on our glory for ourselves, let's, let's build something that when other people see it, they know they built it. And so what we have is, is not only a desire for man to be praised for man's accomplishment but a desire to not be dispersed among the earth. And what this is, is this is a bit foreshadowing, because we just read the nine verses, we know how this works out. But what is interesting, what's interesting for, for these people, these, these ancient uh, people, and what's interesting for us today is, is, is a bit of the same thing. A, it seems like we're... We still today, they here, but we still today believe the lie of the serpent from the garden, which is you do not have to obey God to become more like God. You can disobey him and become like him all you want. And what's interesting is by going about the things that God has promised to us freely and the, and the things that, that, God has, that, God has, that, is, that God has promised to them freely, to go about it on your own power, you only secure what you're, uh, you're, only secure what you're trying to avoid. Right? They want security. So they said, let's build a city, but that's only going to secure the lack of security, right? They want to stay together. And they're like, let's, let's do this. Let's, let's go together. And, and let's not really go about it the way that God wanted to, but let's go about it our own way. And for it, all they do is secure for themselves to be dispersed. Because you see, we all desire security. And God's not against that. God just wants us to find our security in him. Not in cities, not in technology, not in our jobs, not in our salaries. In him. And mankind naturally desires to worship, to praise. And God wants us to worship him, to praise him. But what we see from the fall is that our, our down to our DNA, we've become so fractured, so bent away from God in, in, in just nine chapters. Imagine what 2,000 years of pursuing this has done that we do naturally worship. We do naturally praise ourselves and our accomplishments. And the story of Babel today is going to stand as a testament as to the absolute puniness and futility of doing that. And so verse 5 we get our first kind of prelude to judgment. It says, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower that the children of man had built. Now, this is, um, this is a bit of, of a statement against these people who built this tower, right? Because they built this tower. They're like, we're going to build this tower, and the top of that bad boy is going to be in heaven. 
It's going to be where God lives. And, and, and part of that desire, right, part, part of that, that desire that drives that is a desire to, to get the things of God without really including God, to get it on man's own effort. But what's interesting is I bet when they got through, because it says had built, I'd always seen like pictures of the Tower of Babel. I understand nobody, nobody had a camera or anything back then, but it was always unfinished. But scripture says that it was built. That they built that bad boy. And I bet that they were looking at it and they were like, good gracious, look at that. I bet this is the tallest thing you could possibly build with some, with some dried up mud and tar. And which may be true. It may have been the tallest thing you could build with those materials. And they're marveling at it. They're like, its top is in heaven. Everybody's going to be talking about this. And verse 5 says, the Lord had to come down to even see it. From God's perspective, he's like, what they even doing down there? Oh, snap, they built a tower. I didn't even know. I didn't. <laughs> Man, what's been going on? He's like, they, they, they built a tower, and uh, he calls them children. Specifically, children of men. Now, that refers to mankind there, right? So what's interesting is it could also be translated the children of Adam carrying on that, that notion, that reminder from the garden, right? The, the reminder of the fall of man, the reminder of, of mankind continuing in the same sins of Adam, where man wants to be the decision maker. Man wants to know, or man wants to dictate what is right and wrong. Man wants to decide what's best. And man wants to ultimately take the place of God. And the first statement of this, of this futile kind of effort is God had to come down to even see what man was doing. In verse 6, after God uh, sees this tower, uh, he's ultimately unimpressed. Uh, spoiler alert. In verse 6, he says, And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they uh, propose to do will be impossible for them. Let's, let's go ahead and, and stop right there. Because that statement right there has always been perplexing to me. Because what it seems like from, from 2020 is God comes down. He, he sees the tower. And, and, and we're back up in heaven at this point. There's, there's, there's not a good indication of, of scene change there. We will, we'll know in the next verse that he is. He's back up in heaven now. And he's, and he's with the angels. And, he's, and, and now we know he's with Jesus. And he's with the Holy Spirit. And he's like, well... Um, I went down there, and, and, and behold, they, they, all one people, all one language, and, and, and nothing's impossible for them. And what it sounded like was God was saying, I mean, we got to do something, and they may really build a tower up in this mug and kick us out. <laughs> nothing's impossible. Whatever they propose to do, we, we got to stop them. And, and it kind of seemed like, like God was scrambling a little bit. And in the back of my mind, I was like, that can't be true. That's not true. But that's really what it seems like. And then I'm like, oh, well, also, I'm hungry, so I'm going to go off and do something else, right? But it, 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 when I had to actually study this, I just, I just had question marks. And I read a couple commentaries, and, and they really didn't even seem to address it. And they're like, yeah, and then God said this, and then, and then here's what God's going to do. God's going to go down to confusion language. So I'm like, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on. What, what about this impossible statement? What about this, this, uh, this, this stuff that they propose to do, that they plot to do? That's, that's another translation of that word. And it says that they're one language, they're, they're, they're one people, and nothing that they plot to do is going to be, uh, is nothing going to be impossible. And what this is referring to 
is legitimately, this is referring to man's enormous potential had they no divisions among them. Men and women who are made in the image of God, who bear his image, who have authority over all the earth to subdue it, has enormous potential to do things. Whatever, according to scripture, whatever we set our minds to. If there was no divisions among us whatsoever, we all had the same language, we had no barriers of any kind. Apparently, our potential is we can do anything. But here's what God saw. All we would use that potential to do is commit greater and greater atrocities. All we would do is constantly dedicate all of our time and effort to dethroning him, to acting like we don't need him, and to continue to push ourselves away from him. And so what he does is he sees that And he has his own plans. And what he does is by grace disperse us all over the face of the world, which by grace he forces us to be obedient to what he already called us to do. And in verse 7, we get that, right? He says, come. Let us go down and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them uh, from there all over the face of the earth and they left off building the city. What we see before we get to the actual climax of of uh, of the passage, what we see is by grace God disperses us all over all over the face of the earth which gives us the ability to even be obedient to what he has called us to be and that's and that's interesting and i'm going to explain exactly how that works and so he says he says come let us go down he's now us there everybody everybody in the room wants to jump like he's talking about jesus there yeah he's talking about jesus there and he probably is but he's also probably talking about the host of heaven right the angels and 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 uh well the host of heaven, right? Uh, and, and he says, and we have this, we have this second repeating, right? Because God already came down once, right? And he says, let us, let us go down there and let us confuse our language so they may not understand one another's speech. And what happens is this, this division, this not being able to understand one another, it actually limits man's potential, Right? What's going to happen is through not understanding one another's speech, we are going to be dispersed all over the face of the earth. We're going to form our own people groups with our own languages, with our own traditions. But at the end of the day, what's going to happen is people ultimately limit other people. Does that make sense? What happens is we have these different people groups. And think about, think about all the problems that we have in the world. And think about how many of them are caused by people groups limiting other people groups based on language, based on culture, based on tradition, based on the way that they view life. And God said, yeah. Yeah, we're going to do a little bit of self-policing. This is the end This right here is actually the end of the curse that was started with Adam. 
This is the last judgment of all mankind that God's going to issue until the final judgment in Revelation. He says, what's going to happen? What's going to flow out of y'all's desire to constantly stay grouped up, to constantly stay bent against me, is I will make it to where you will never be united like this again. Matter of fact, this will be the start of all the bickering and fighting and violence of everything that y'all are going to go through, everything that y'all are going to be so mad at me for and asking me why I didn't stop it when I didn't design it to be like this in the first place. This is where all that is going to start. Because you wouldn't simply obey. Because you wanted to believe the lie that was started with a question. Did God really say? This is the start of all that. And so what we actually see here is God doing a few things for us. But But before I get into that, through all my studies, everybody that I read said, this is not the climax of of this passage. I thought it was. And I was like, yeah, the Lord came down. He brought the band hammer and things got wild. Like, that's that's the climax, right? The rest is just the fallout. And they said, no, no, no. Thematically, in the way it is written, the climax is in chapter 9. Therefore, right? And what, what do we ask? What's it there for? This is the conclusion of everything that the Holy Spirit had Moses write. The conclusion of all of that is in verse 9. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them all over, all, uh, uh, over the face of all the earth. And what happens is we end where we begin. In verse 1, it says the whole earth had one language. And in the second earth, we, or in the, in the last verse, we, we see that it is repeated. The whole earth, except for it's radically different right now. The whole earth is not just one language. The whole earth is a whole bunch of languages, a whole bunch of people. Now, and it says that the Tower of Babel now stands not as, a, as this feat of human ingenuity, uh, of ingenuity that, that garners praise for man, but what was intended to be that monument is now uh, become a reminder of divine judgment and human pride and folly. God has, God has reversed what man intended to do and put it forth right for his glory and the futility of man setting himself against the creator. And he calls it babble. And we're like, well, yeah, because that's what it means to babble. Like babies babble, they say a bunch of stuff, nobody can understand it, right? But in reality, that word can be translated and is translated in every other part of the Bible as another word. And it's a name. And it's Babylon. The Lord will call it Babylon. Now, here's the interesting thing about Babylon, and we're going to see it the deeper we move into uh, the deeper we move into um, the Old Testament, and we're going to see it come back, of course, in, in Revelation. Is Babylon is is the image is uh, is ultimately uh, kind of like the 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 catch-all of everything that is bent against God. It is Israel's worst enemy. As, as the, uh, the, the empire, the Babylonian empire, the Babylonian king. As a matter of fact, we have a description of the Babylonian king um, in, in the Old Testament. And, and, and I didn't have the reference because the Holy Spirit just brought it to my I'll pray for a reference in a minute. Um, 
But we have a description of the Babylonian king, and most scholars believe it's a description of Satan himself and his, and his fall from grace and his tyranny on the earth. And so what we have here is God saying, you know what? You know what I'm going to do, actually? Like, like this, is, this is what you intended to do, but actually this is the start of Babylon. This is the start of, of God's, I don't want to say greatest enemy, because I don't think God really has, like, God doesn't struggle with different size enemies. But this would be the picture, the image of everything that is bent against me for the rest of my story of redemption. This empire will constantly build very tall towers. They will. The city of Babylon is known for its tall towers, right, that, that they contribute to to the help of gods that, that built them and, and the worship of pagan gods. And he, and he says, it said, that's all going to start right here. And what we see throughout the Old Testament is, is Israel gets in trouble and Babylon's kind of like that whooping stick and it comes through and it takes them and then, God, and then they're delivered. And then it's, it's kind of back and forth. But ultimately, you and I today, we have revelation. We know what ultimately happens to Babylon right? Ultimately, what happens is in a moment, Christ rides down on a white horse and a tattoo on his thigh. I don't know if that's going to bother some of you. Jesus had a tattoo. That's all I'm going to say. He he rides down on a white horse with a tattoo on his side that says, Lord of Lords and King of Kings, and he slaughters Babylon. It says that the blood is high as the horse's reins. You're like, now hold on, Revelation, a lot of imagery. It is, I ain't, here to, I ain't here to debate that. What I'm telling you is, we know how this ends. Once we make that connection, we know that ultimately what God does here in Genesis 11 is another foretelling and another promise of what he will do ultimately. And in the, and in the story uh, uh, of the Tower of Babel, we have a promise of victory that Jesus will one day slay this dreaded human pride that has driven us since the very first question, did God really say? That our desire to be God and our desire to decide what's best will one day die as it plagues mankind from the very beginning. That you and I, as we are brought to, into more and more conformity of, of the Son of God through the cross, through recognizing that we are not God, and thank God we're not. If I was God, we would all be in a lot of trouble. I guess that for me, because I'd be God, uh, right? But, but everybody else would be in a, in a lot of trouble. And one day we would, we would put down this rebellion, and we would stop seeking to take his place, but give him his proper place, and bow down and make ourselves low and worship. Here in the Tower of Babel, we have God's promise I will slay this in you as easy as as easily as I dispersed you across the whole face of the earth as unimpressed as I am with this tower is as unimpressed as I am with you and your efforts to enter my home and dethrone me and as close as they were which as we know they weren't close at all is as close as you'll ever get so now in this series we're, we're preaching God's redemptive story from beginning to end, right? From Genesis to Revelation, everything God does, God does for a purpose. And so what I initially saw in this story from, from a lack of study is God kind of scrambling. Like, well, what are we going to do? I don't know, man. We do, let's just scramble the jets, you know what I mean? Just scramble them up. Just send them around. And that way they can't do anything was actually, of course, as it always is, sovereign plan from the beginning. 
And in this, and through the story of Babel, we have a couple of things that God has secured for us. First, I think here we actually have secured the thriving of the gospel one day. As we know, as we know from studying church history, the gospel thrives far more in diversity than it does in uniformity. The fact that you and I are not just carbon copies of ourselves is a more beautiful picture than if we were, right? Because that's called a cult, right? And we're not that, right? And and so the fact that we all have different interests, the fact that we all have different uh, jobs and and concerns and viewpoints and, and gifts is a far more beautiful picture than it would be had we, if, if we were all the same, right? And so what God has done here is God is saying, everybody's the same. Everybody kind of speaks the same language, uses the same words, lives in the same place. What I'm going to do is I'm going to bring diversity to this. But what this diversity is going to do is ultimately garner more praise for Christ. Because what, he's, what, is, what is Christ going to do? Christ is going to come through and he's going to cut through all of it. And what's going to happen is men and women among all tongues, all nations, all gifts, they're all going to lay down their allegiance. They're going to bow down to Christ. And what it's going to do, and that is going to paint a a more beautiful picture to look at that and to remember the words of revelation of the uncountable multitude from all nations. And that is going to, and that causes more awe, more glory than if we were all just a bunch of robots programmed to praise God to begin with. It magnifies the authority of Christ to cut through all that and get down to he is king of kings and he is Lord of lords. And ultimately, as I, as I hinted at this before, this is where our pride begins to die as mankind. Right here. And that's a gift from God that he would slay our pride, that he would fatally wound our pride, that he would, that he would put these people groups in so that we are, we are continually limited so that, so that one day we could see this, this futility of human pride and in that moment we can see clearly where God stands and, and, and how uh, desperate our need is for him. And so the good news, the good news that flows out of the gospel thriving in diversity, the good news about our pride being fatally wounded on this day is that the gospel is not tailored for just one group of people. God multiplied the people groups, God multiplied the languages and and God speaks all of them. The gospel is for all people, all nations, all tongues. And the gospel is power enough to break down all barriers. And this diversity that God has created, which it may bother you to say that God God created these divisions and created this conflict that will ultimately flow out, which uh, theologically I would say uh, man created them. Anyway, um, This diversity ultimately serves to point us to Christ as all things do. And it serves to magnify God's glory and his ability to cut through all the nonsense and speak to his people and bring his people to himself. And at the end of the day, that's what the series is about. 
How, how have we moved from creation to recreation? And what has that redemptive story looked like? And what we're going to see starting next week and moving forward is God's going to go about pursuing his people really in a radically different way, beginning with the story of Abraham. But I'll let that story begin next week. This week, this is what we have. This is the story of Babel, ultimately the beginning of Babylon. And that will begin to make more sense as we move on. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we are uh, thankful. Again, of course, Lord, um, thankful for uh, your word, thankful for what you did on that day, uh, thousands upon thousands of years ago. Lord, thankful for your grace as, as at any point in time throughout man's history. Uh, you, you could have not spared a family. You could have, you could have not found uh, someone who was, who was suitable for a covenant, Lord. You, you, you could have just washed your hands and, and moved on and, and, and made another world with people who, who didn't rebel you against uh, the way that we did, Lord, but, but you didn't. Lord, from the very beginning, you had a plan. From the very beginning, you were sovereign. From the very beginning, you knew and you promised that you would provide your son. And Lord, we're thankful for that. Lord, I would ask that, that in, our, in our lives, in our, uh, in our day-to-day, you would remind us of all that you're doing. You would remind us, or maybe not, maybe not all of what you're doing, but a little peek into what you're doing. A little peek into, into what you've done on our behalf. And Lord, that we would, that we would marvel at your beauty even in diversity. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We pray these things in your name. Amen.